All right, Alexander, let's uh, talk about the big uh, Russian missile strike. Not only missiles, uh, missiles, drones. Uh, it seems like uh, the, the Russians uh, threw, threw a whole bunch of, uh, of things at, uh, at Ukraine uh, yesterday. And uh, they, they hit just about every major city as well. And um, I didn't really see much success from the air defense wonder weapons of Ukraine either. So uh, what's what's going on here? No, I mean, I think this is absolutely not. Now, this is the first big Russian missile strike um, of this winter. I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about whether the Russians would launch big missile strikes this winter. We've been waiting to see them. And, you know, there's been some one, people wondering whether they would, in fact, do it well they did they did it and they did it on a very big scale apparently something like 130 130 cruise missiles according to the ukrainians launched overnight from strategic bombers from ships of the black sea fleet um and also huge numbers fleets of geranium 2 drones launched at the same time and um not just apparently missiles and drones, but um, various decoy weapons. It, it, it is becoming incredibly sophisticated, these operations. And as you absolutely rightly say, right across every single part of Ukraine, and this coming after Ukraine itself has been, uh, Kiev itself especially, has been attacked now for several uh, uh, over, over over several nights over the past week or so. So this was a huge attack. And it's interesting because of the number of things that it tells us. First, you're absolutely correct. It does look as if a large number of these missiles and drones got through and hit their targets. Now, Ukraine has said that it shot down 87 of the missiles but, you know, it looks as if something like 120, 130 were launched. So even Ukraine is no longer claiming a 90, 100 percent success rate as it used to do. So that's a thing, already a concession. In practice, I mean, many people, even Epoch Times, I noticed a short time ago, conceded that many, many more of these missiles and many, many more of these drones get through. And they have hit lots of different targets up and down and across Ukraine. And that then brings us to the question of what exactly is it that the Russians are up to? What are the Russians doing with these big missile strikes? Now, last year, they were attacking the Ukrainian energy system. And a lot of people, ourselves amongst them, assumed that the plan was to knock out the energy system. The energy system was never fully and completely knocked out. And it seems that a decision was made in Moscow that they wouldn't knock out the energy system, at least not completely, last year. They don't seem to have been mainly focused, primarily focused, on the energy system last night. I'm going to suggest that the real objective that the Russians follow with these attacks is that they are depleting. They were doing this last year and they're doing it again this year. They are depleting, they're weakening Ukraine's air defense system. Now, it seems Ukraine, both last year and with its new Western systems this year, needs at least two air defense missiles to shoot down any single Russian missile 
or drone. So the Ukrainians are therefore given the impossible choice. Do they expend all their missiles trying to shoot down these Russian cruise missiles and drones? Or do they husband their missiles, their air defense missiles and drones, and let the Russians devastate their country? Well, they obviously can't do the second, so they have to do the first. And the result is that the problem of keeping the air defense system operating becomes increasingly difficult and it starts to break down. That's what happened last winter, which enabled the Russian Air Force this summer and autumn and winter to start operating in a big way. And the same, I suspect, is true with this latest missile offensive now. We already know that there are shortages of Patriot missile systems. We all, Patriot missiles, we already know that the United States is pleading with Japan to supply Patriot missiles to um, Ukraine because the United States is so desperately short of its own. Um, even though Japan giving up air defense missiles, and this has been very controversial in Japan, um, has apparently created shock there because Japan is supposed to be preparing to defend itself against North Korea and China. And we've been hearing from the Americans themselves saying this is the big defense priority. But no, they're going to be weakened instead to reinforce Ukraine. And what the Russians are doing is they're testing the resilience of Ukraine's air defense system, depleting it, degrading it, weakening it still further, opening it, opening up the skies for their air force to intervene even more. Yeah, they're they're getting demilitarized. Yeah. The collective West. Yes, even the even the United States. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I've been reading a lot of articles which which have said that um, that the United States is is running low on on many weapons uh, systems. Yes. yes, like they're having to go into into their own like stockpiles and and hand them over to to Ukraine and uh, and the Patriot missile systems are one of those uh, are one of yes. those systems. And uh, and Ukraine last winter, when the Russians employed the same tactic, Ukraine was able to to get the the more air defense systems and 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 the more missiles from the collective West. This time, they're not going to be able to get that. No, they're not. This is this is this is the thing, and this is which is why some people in the Pentagon oppose this idea in the first place. I mean, the decision to supply Ukraine with Patriot missiles with Patriot missile systems was strongly opposed by many people in the United States because they were worried about exactly the kind of scenario that we're seeing playing out now. They're saying, "Look, we've got." All these commitments around the world, we've got our situation in the Middle East, this is unresolved, blooming over everything. There is this likely big confrontation with China that is coming over the horizon. We need our Patriot missile systems. We need our attackers missiles because they are part of our strategic arsenal to contain the Chinese in the Pacific. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that this is, you know, wise strategy anyway. I mean, I think that they should not be aiming to try to meet a you know, meet the Chinese on military terms. But that's what they've been doing. So they said, why therefore are we 
sending Patriot missiles to Ukraine. And then, of course, Joe Biden, the Biden administration decided that they would. They overruled all of those objections. They said they would send one Patriot missile system, and they did send one Patriot missile system. They said that would be the only one they would send. And now, apparently, four more have been sent, and Germany's basically stripping itself of its Patriot missile systems, and the Netherlands is doing the same, and the United States is running short of Patriot missiles, and they're having to beg and plead and take them from their own ally in Japan. Uh, it, it is, it's, it's the sunk cost fallacy, which you talked about in one of your programs, taken to the ultimate point. It's taking it to the point of total strategic bankruptcy. But that's what they're doing. So what, um, what, what does Russia do then? in the spring once they've they've depleted all of the missiles well this is this is the, the air this defense is, missiles of ukraine this is the sixty four thousand dollar question That's, i mean yeah. none of us none of us of yeah. course is party to general gerasimov's plans by the way well, he get, I, I, yeah I can i just say i say that because i don't know if you read the tweet from medvedev the mm, other I day did, yeah. where he was yeah. commenting on um on the various articles from new york times and politico about ceasefire yeah Something something stuck out from that tweet in that Medvedev said that that the Russian cities of Odessa, Dnipropetrovsk, all of that has to be resolved. But he also put another city in there, which was Kiev. Yeah. I, so, did, I mean, I, I, I don't know what, what. Yeah, what's what happens no. now in the spring? Well, I I personally think there is going to be a Russian offensive, but I I think that what we're looking at at the moment on the battlefronts, I mean, there's been a lot more news over the last 24 hours about more Russian advances. Uh, uh, you know, remember that place? <laughs> Russians are apparently about to, uh, uh, you know, regain full control of Rabotino. They're two kilometers from Chasov Yar, they're back, they're advancing, in other words, all along the battle lines. They're even making more advances now in the Yavdevka area. I, to me, all of these look like shaping operations, preparing the ground, weakening the Ukrainians even more, preventing the Ukrainians from getting any rest, any time to rebuild and restore themselves during the uh, winter. You know, last year, you know, we had a certain quiet period during the winter and then Bakhmut obviously started up. But the, the Russians have not given the Ukrainians any rest this time. They've kept advancing right through the mud period into the winter. They're attacking. Now they're launching these big attacks with the missiles. I think we're going to see some kind of a, a Russian offensive in the spring. And um, the governor, uh, you know, the Russian-backed governor of Kherson region, a man called Saldo, actually said that he actually thinks that the war will end in the spring when the Russians do, in fact, launch the offensive, which he clearly expects that they will. So um, that that's, I think, personally what will happen. I, I want to stress, I have no... You know, direct knowledge of this. But what Medvedev was talking about was, first of all, he was refuting all of these claims about, you know, 
ceasefires, freezes, all of those kind of things. That article in the New York Times that we we talked about a short time ago, he was basically trashing all of that. He he made it again clear that all Russian cities, and you know, interesting that he considers Dnipropetrovsk, Dnipro, a Russian city, because um, that is a bit controversial, as I understand it. It's 50-50, Ukrainian, 50% Ukrainian speakers, 50% Russian speakers. Anyway, I'm not going to get into the internal dynamics of Dnipro. But anyway, all of these places that we've talked about before, obviously, he says they're going to become Russian again. But he's talking about Kiev. He's talking again, straightforwardly, very straightforwardly, about regime change in Kiev. He's the deputy chair of the Russian Security Council. He's very close politically to Putin. I am sure what he is articulating are the objectives now that the Russian government is setting itself. Now, it may not be possible to achieve all of these by this spring, despite what Saldor said, but I think that's the direction in which the Russians are going. Yeah, and just a final note, we have uh, Timoshenko who who popped up uh, the other day as well. And, you know, she's someone that that is very powerful um, in in Ukraine, or at least once upon a time was very powerful in in Ukraine. She still is, but uh, obviously she senses that there could be a type of uh, shift in um, in power in the government. And I imagine, as you said in your video the other day, I imagine that she is making moves now to position herself um, for that, uh, that power shift. I thought that was a most interesting series of comments that she's made. I mean, she's given this video. She said that the mobilization idea is a terrible one. That it's an unconst- that it's unconstitutional. She says, you know, instead of doing that, let's round up all this, all these security forces, the SBUs and the National Guards and all of these people, and send half of them to fight instead of basically terrorizing Ukrainians. And then she said, "We need a Plan B." Now um, she didn't explain what that Plan B was, but I have to say, to me, it looked like a pitch to both the Americans and the Russians, telling both the Americans, "You want me to? You want?" to end this war with the Russians on some kind of terms that keep Ukraine afloat, I'm the person to do that for you. Zelensky won't. Zeluzhny won't. I can. So back me for president. So I think that's what the message that she's telling to uh, um, uh, the Americans. And I think the message she's telling to the Russians is, look, you want to see a general settlement of the situation in Ukraine, which will be in your interests and which the global community will accept. Well, I'm Yulia Timoshenko, the orange princess, the gas princess. Everybody knows who I am. Everybody knows that I'm not anybody's stooge. If I become president, negotiate with me. We'll come to a good compromise. We did so before when I was there. And this time it will be for real and it will stick. So I think this was a major big bid for power by Timoshenko. I don't know that it will succeed. I think that, you know, the Maidan movement is very hostile to her. Zelensky is hostile to her. Poroshenko hates her, all of these people. But, you know, Timoshenko, I I think that was a very interesting story in the wind. 
I think it tells us that she, and she's you know, very well informed about the situation inside Ukraine, can see how bad the situation has become. Yeah. A straw in the wind. She's making moves. She's making moves, yeah. And, and, and others will follow. And others, All right. will, and others will follow. But she is, she, I mean, she, is a, she is a big beast. I mean, she's as big as it gets in terms of Ukrainian politics. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we will leave it there. The Durad.locals.com. We are Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, Rockfin, and Twitter X. And go to the Durad shop, 20% off. Use the code CHRISTMAS20. Take care.